haven't we? Uh, Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're in uh, part 4 of this final section of Ephesians 6, and we're uh, seeing that there is a heaven reality to the exalted Christ, that Christ had come and he had uh, lived, died, was buried, and resurrected, uh, and has now ascended on high, and so he has not left earth without a witness or without a reality to his exaltation. We have the testimony of that reality to us in the final section of Ephesians, of Ephesians 6. We saw that though throughout Ephesians this was hinted at, where in chapter 1 Paul says we were blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Again in chapter 2 where we are told that we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. And once more in chapter 4, we were encouraged to know that Christ has ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things or fill all places. And this morning, we would do well to just see Paul's application of the peace of God throughout his letter. Turn in your Bibles a couple uh, chapters over to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are all faithful in Christ Jesus, and it's actually verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2, in verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Because Christ is our peace. In chapter 4, verse 3, we read, Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so we come to the uh, piece of armor known as the feet of shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Follow along as I read for us the greater context of our uh, verse this morning, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. The word of the Lord says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God with all petition and prayer and at all times in the spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition 
for all the saints. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us go to him again for help this morning. Oh Lord, we come to you this morning on the precipice of your word. We thank you that you have given us your spirit, that you have united us with Christ so that these words would not be useless, but would be of infinite use and eternal use to us. Oh Lord, only that you would conform our hearts to such things, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we continue to remind ourselves as we look at the armor of God, this well-known passage, we continue to remind ourselves that the primary question in regard to this passage is not, how can I provide truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the Spirit? But the primary question is, who? Who is it that supplies truth? Who is it that provides righteousness like a breastplate, the gospel of peace, faith like a shield, salvation like a helmet, and the spirit that is the word of God. Well, we know the answer to this is that the answer to this is our God. The one who provides the armor is the one who supplies all these things. And Paul has positioned these armor in such a way that help us understand what he's getting at. And this is not disconnected with where Paul encourages the Ephesians to recognize that they have put on Christ. As they have put off the old man in faith, they have put on Christ. Here Paul brings by way of illustration what it means to have put on Christ. And he began that illustration with the belt of truth, or the girdle of truth, or here in the very words of our translation, having girded your loins with truth. Putting it in that essential first position where we recognize that that all other accoutrements or all other pieces of the armor are held together by this belt, and so truth plays that role. And then the breastplate of righteousness, and we saw that as it relates to this, this is the very righteousness of Christ. That it was imputed to us when we put our faith in him, and that what was fully imputed is also continually imparted to us. And Ian DeGuid commented, he said, We are right with God through perfect obedience, but it is not our weak and failing righteousness that guards us, not even our ability to strap on God's breastplate well. Rather, it is a perfect righteousness that comes from God, a righteousness given to us in Christ as part of the cosmic transfer deal by which our own guilt was laid on Christ. And now this morning, we turn our attention to feet shod with the gospel of peace. Well, it is probably no surprise to you. We all live in this world and we see that this world is filled with instability. Not just in politics, not just in the wars and skirmishes that happen all throughout the globe. Certainly not such uh, in the more civil instability that we see of rioting and protests. 
Not just in societal norms, the instability that is being uh, promoted through societal norms, but we live in a world filled with instability of the heart and the mind. We see a world chasing after their idols. As I uh, communicated with you, there was none easier on display than last Lord's Day's display of that religious gathering known as the Grammys, where they worship none other than, than Satan. And it, it's not me being a fire and brimstone guy. It was literally the performance. And may we see that they were worshiping. They were attending their service, though it was an annual festival for them. They were attending their service to their God, and it played out on their stage in such a way. And in many ways, we could go through it and probably point out where there was also sacrament involved. We live in a world filled with instability. We live in a world where they chase after idols, though they may not know it. The question that should be for us this morning, are we able to recognize these idols? Are we as Christians able to look at the lives of those around us who don't believe and see their idols? But more pointedly, are we able to see our own idols? Part of identifying the idols of the world is to see what the world will tempt us with. Part of the seeing the idols of those that don't believe is to see where our flesh will be will be naturally tend to go in our fallen state. Are we able to see our own idols, the, own, the things that cause us instability? Are you able to see the idols of success, whether it be vocational or parental, the idols of wealth and financial security, the idols of beauty and health, the idols of the opinions of man, or of friends, or of family. You make idols of these things when you attribute to them the power to bless and to curse. That these idols will bless when you obey them. If you just follow their rules and obey their commandments, you expect to receive blessing from them. You expect things A plus B equals C. You also make idols of them when you expect or are fearful of curse when you don't obey. This often presents itself as fear and worry, as fleeting happiness and quickly diminishing blessings. Some respond with anger, others with addiction. And we recognize that we can treat them as if they had enormous significance. We must recognize that we often make idols of these things, many of them blessings of this life. The blessing of of work, the blessing of parenting, the blessing of finances and wealth, the blessing of beauty and health. The blessing of of being thought well of by others. And yet if we 
hold them in such a way that we, we follow and obey their rules that are contrary to God's commands, thinking that if I just do this, then I'll, I'll, I'll feel better about the situation and about myself. And if I don't, you're fearful or angry that, that if you don't obey, they will curse you in such a way. You'll be put out by your family or friends that you will lose your health or lose your beauty. Your wealth and financial security will fall away. You won't succeed in your vocation. People will think you a bad parent. Sometimes it's good for us to think of such things as they relate to being faithful to God's word, but as it relates to the thing and of themselves and the objects themselves, we make them easily and they become quickly idols to us. Deguid says again, as, as a result, we all live much of our lives in miserable bondage to our idols, making the endless sacrifices that they demand of us while always striving in pursuit of their elusive smile, Our false gods are harsh taskmasters. They may reward some of us with their fickle blessings only to ensnare us even more deeply in their power while they reduce others to nervous wrecks who feel devalued by their curses on our failures and shortcomings. It is for this reason that the Spirit provides us this particular piece of armor, shod, Feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We all know the importance of shoes. We live in a first world culture or first world society where to see somebody go without shoes is to one is to know that they there's something lacking, whether they lack the finances or lack the mental ability to to take care of themselves we we recognize that there's an importance to our feet being protected humorously it's said that there are three levels of pain pain excruciating pain and stepping on legos with bare feet and so it is for the christian to know that we travel not through this world bare with bare feet without stability We need not look to these idols that easily crop up in our lives. And we need not look to them for blessing or fear of their cursing. For we have the gospel of peace. My sermon this morning has three points. Preparation, peace, and promise. Preparation, peace, and promise. Preparation we see here, not only in the word, but this is in relating to how we are to prepare ourselves to understand what it is the apostle is getting at by using the illustration of feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Here we see again the apostle pointing us to a divine warrior by alluding to our antecedent or before scriptures. We'll start in Exodus chapter 12. We've been there before as we uh, looked at other pieces, but it's 
uh, as we looked at the belt of truth, but it's important for us to be reminded again what took place during that first Passover. As I said, we recognize that the Lord says uh, what he was going to do, and then what the people of Israel were to do in the preparation of the lamb, in the quality of the lamb, so that when he gets down to verse 11, it says, now how are they to eat? How are they to receive this Passover meal? It says, now you shall eat it in this manner with your loins girded and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And so we see here in Exodus chapter 12, the first place we recognize that there are sandals upon the feet of God's people for a purpose of making haste so that when they leave the bondage, the captivity of Egypt, they will have stability of travel. We read in other places that that the same clothes that they wore and the sandals that they wore did not wear out during their time of wandering. And so we recognize what a wonderful thing we have in the true sandals, in the true clothing, that it will not wear out and it will give us stability along the way. It will provide us peace. Turn now to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is an interesting psalm because it is one of the pieces of Scripture, within it, one of the pieces of Scripture that Satan used to tempt Christ when he brought him up upon the high precipice. And he says, throw yourself down, for does not the word of God say that the angels will bear you up by their wings? We give, we see that in verse 11. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. In verse 13, you will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Here, though Satan uses it perversely, he unwittingly uses a proper passage to speak of the Messiah, the Christ, who came shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace that he was able to tread upon the lion and the cobra. He crushes the head of the serpent. And now where Paul more explicitly alludes to, turn to Isaiah 52. We know Isaiah 53 well, for it is that uh, famous chapter or that uh, chapter on the suffering servant. But what comes before that is a call to the people of Israel to put away their idols, 
to be prepared to go out in a new exodus from their captivity. The wonder and the glory of this is that this is given uh, well before they go into captivity. Look at Isaiah 52, verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. We can take notice that as we recognize the typological relationship between the people of Israel and and God's uh, chosen people and and certainly the New uh, Testament people of his church, but also all those faithful to Christ or put faith in Christ. We see a contrast in verse 12 with the first exodus. For they were to be shod, their feet were to be shod and make ready And they were to eat in haste, but in verse 12, in connection to this prophecy, it says, but you will not go out in haste, nor will you go out, go as fugitives. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. What wonderful news it is that though we are ready, though we are to be made ready, though we are to remain diligent and to Uh, Remain steadfast. There is not a haste in there, for we now are able to have patience, for the Lord has come. For the one who has announced peace has come. The one who has brought good news of happiness, the one who announced his salvation has come. So we may, with those watchmen in verse 8, shout joyfully together. We see that this peace came preaching. Turn now to Luke chapter 4. In Luke's ordering of the life of Christ, we find the temptation of Jesus at the beginning of chapter 4, and then after that, it begins his public ministry. It says in verse 14, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout all the surrounding districts. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he, had, he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recover of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The one shod with the gospel of peace had come. 
the one who was to lead his people in stability of mind and heart had come. It's the same shod feet that took him to the Samaritan woman at the well where he, t- he told of his living waters. It was the same shod feet that took him to the sick and the blind and the lame and where our future hope was displayed through renewed bodies. It was the same shod feet that took him to the grave of a friend, where by the word of his mouth, life was restored. And though his feet were bare while he carried his cross and hung upon it, they were still shod with the gospel of peace, whereby peace was accomplished and reconciliation was obtained. Well, brothers and sisters, these shod feet, these gospel shoes, as some commentators put it, are well worn and tested, for they come to us by our Savior. And so these, this should prepare us to see now what is of this peace. And so we may clearly see the apostle's point or more clearly see his point. That he's not pointing us to some duty that is yet to be accomplished, but a work that is finished in the person, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We read earlier that he pointed this way. We didn't, we'll read more extended in chapter 2. Because we begin, if we begin in verse 13, of chapter of Ephesians chapter 2 but now in Christ Jesus you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace he made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Is that The gospel of peace prepares us to be stable in this life. It doesn't point us, this passage doesn't point us to to strap on your bootstraps, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work harder. It's to look to the one who wore these shoes and who has endowed them to you as your Savior. John Gill says that the preparation of it does not design a promptitude or readiness to preach the gospel, or to receive it, or to profess it, or to give a reason of faith in it, or to endure reproach and persecution for it, nor that readiness which the gospel is a means of, as for every good work, for the spiritual warfare, for the Christian's journey heavenward, or for heaven itself, But the Greek word signifies a base or foundation. And here it designs a firm and solid knowledge of the gospel as it publishes peace 
by Jesus Christ, which yields a sure foundation for the Christian soldier to set his foot upon and stand fast on. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace is to say to stand firm upon the immovable ground of the gospel of peace. It is not to say that we should not be ready to preach the gospel, that we should not receive it or profess it or to give a reason of faith in it. But it is to recognize that the ground from which we do all that is one of firm foundation. So as we look at this and see that there is some wonderful promise here, some wonderful fruit that is to be produced by this understanding, we look now to the promise. We see that this is a peace that surpasses understanding. You can turn with me if you'd like to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is of Lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything are worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This peace, these feet shod with the gospel of peace, something we should realize that this peace is is a peace that surpasses comprehension as soldiers as Calvin says covered their legs and feet to protect them against cold and other injuries so we must be shod with the gospel if we would pass unhurt through the world it is the gospel of peace and it is so called as every reader must perceive from its effects for it is the message of our reconciliation to God and nothing else that gives peace to the conscience We recognize, though, that as we live in this world and as, as by way of introduction, you may have recognized that there were many of those idols that you have fall, fallen prey to even this week and maybe this very morning. That you feel assailed and afflicted. You feel distressed. But being shod with the gospel or with the preparation of the gospel of peace is, is though we may be distressed, we are not despairing. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Wonderful passage as it relates to this. We, we read of Paul's travels and we read of, of what had happened to him throughout his time. He says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthly vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. 
And then in verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all, comp- all comparison. Amen. Consider that a Christian can be afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Verse 10 that I didn't read, you can carry about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And yet not crushed, yet not despairing, yet not forsaken, and yet not destroyed. One theologian observes, and and there may be all around about us touching and affecting the surface of our being, distractions enough, distractions of circumstance, of sorrows, of difficulties, many things that are at enmity with joy and with tranquility, and yet away down in the depths, where are the real man? There may be a stillness as of some landlocked valley that heareth not the loud winds when they call. Your feet may be shod for all the warfare with the readiness that comes from the possession of a general peace. The foes may storm round the little castle, but in the center of the keep, there may be a quiet room with thick walls and curtains where no sound of warfare ever reaches. Brother, this, brothers and sisters, this is the stability we receive when we receive the gospel of peace. And this peace that is afforded to us is not one that's mustered up within ourselves, but it is one that is produced not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Earlier in that passage, he he asked the Galatians, who has betwixt you, who has confused you, who has turned you now to uh, useless things, back to the law? And he says, no, don't try harder. Look to the one who has accomplished all things. Look to the one who can actually give you true peace. Let that be the foundation for us this morning. Let that be uh, a work in us that Christ does so that now we would flee from our idols. We are free to flee these idols, to let go of all the fear and anger Let go of such things and hold, take hold of Christ. It is because the Lord reigns. And in Christ, he proclaims that he has a plan for us. A plan to bless and not to curse. A plan of peace and not despair. Let us go to him in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, 
We thank you that you have given us such wonderful pieces of your armor that we as your people, we as those who are here now as pilgrims, strangers and aliens, even in many ways behind enemy lines, have been given a sure foundation to stand upon. That as we tread through this life, we may tread across rocks, through valleys and mountaintops, over dangers and many perilous circumstances. And though in our weakness of our flesh, we succumb to them often in worry and fear and doubt, we are only renewed in your spirit and knowledge that it is Christ who has gone before and accomplished all on our behalf. And so will see us to the end. We ask for this peace this morning, Lord. May it be a work in us so that we may be ready to proclaim also the wonderful news of your peace and reconciliation. We thank you, Lord, for these things. We ask for them in the name of Christ, our peace. Amen.